For most of this year, there was a herd of gentle giants lumbering around China. It's not every day that you look out the window and see a herd of wild elephants walking down the street. No one knew where the elephants were headed or why, but they captured the attention of people around the world. This herd of wild Asian elephants traipsing across southern China is like a top rock band. Videos of the elephant family are pretty adorable, but their very existence points to a deeper environmental problem, one that we're seeing escalate wherever elephants roam. So why are more and more elephants striking out from their nature reserves? And what can we do to avoid worsening human-elephant conflict? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. After 18 months of travel, the elephant family finally made it home this September. But scientists are still wondering why they left it all. And so are we. So we're bringing you this episode from July, right before the herd turned back towards its reserve. At the time, I sat down with Dr. Joshua Plotnick. I'm an assistant professor of psychology at Hunter College City University of New York. But he's not your average psychology professor. I've been working in Thailand since 2007, studying both captive and wild elephants living there. And some people have put those two together to describe him as an elephant psychologist. That seemed dubious, so I asked him to break down his work for me. Thanks for asking that, because elephant psychologist sounds like I sit them down on a couch and (laughs) and ask them questions, which actually, if I could do that, I would love to, but uh, unfortunately, (laughs) I can't. So I am a comparative psychologist or a comparative cognition researcher, which means that I'm really interested in studying the evolution of intelligence across diverse species, and I'm also really interested in how understanding animal intelligence can help us conserve endangered species in the wild. Which makes you perfect for this conversation. So we are talking about something that has become an internet sensation. I think one of the things that makes this story so special is that so many people have become invested in what's happening to a herd of elephants walking across China. And people around the world have been watching the live streams coming back from drones that are tracking the elephants' movements. So to anyone new to the story, they can see these on our Twitter feed. We'll be posting them there at AJ The Take. But can you describe some of what people are seeing in the videos? Yeah, I mean, the drone footage is really quite remarkable, and it's unique to this particular population. But you're seeing them walking along cement roads where they're interacting with local tourists or they're going near people's homes looking for food. You're seeing elephants sleep together. You're seeing the babies crawling over the older females in the group. And so these images are quite, I'd say, cute, but also people don't normally see these images. And so the fact that people can follow this journey visually is, I think, quite appealing to the public. There's a lot of mystery around this elephant movement, but let's start with what we do know. Where is this herd from and where are they going? This herd is from uh, Sichuan Bana Nature Reserve, which is in the southern part of Yunnan province. We don't know where they're going. We don't know why they left, but they've traveled uh, approximately 500 miles um, to the provincial capital of Kunming. And that's when people started to get a little bit more nervous about this because uh, Kunming is a heavily populated capital city. 
that can be really dangerous because you have people in close contact with the elephants. People don't necessarily know how to behave around the elephants. Here are two residents from Kunming, a city of about six million. We had no experience with this ever in the past. I was so scared. The local government warned me to leave, but I didn't expect that elephants could actually break into my house. The elephants can weigh upwards of eight to ten thousand pounds. You're inevitably going to have some cases that become dangerous, especially in these communities in China. It is unusual for elephants to be walking through their local cities. What do we know about what they are looking for, and and what are they doing? What are they eating? We don't know much about what they're looking for. I think that is the really important question. Certainly, what we're seeing isn't surprising to me. You're seeing elephants going into farmers' crop fields. They are eating the high-quality fruits and vegetables, sugarcane that's available to them in these crop fields. For an elephant in a natural habitat, they travel sometimes quite a long distance in order to find high-quality food. They've got to trek through the forest. They have to find food that's edible, that's desirable.、Uh, and elephants can eat upwards of 250 kilos of food a day. Wow! Right, so that's a lot of food that the elephants need to seek out, not only for themselves but for the rest of their family groups. And so, when you all of a sudden have access to, you know, like a supermarket of food that you can eat all at one time, that's really appealing. And so, once the elephants, I think, got a taste for this high-quality food, they continue to seek it out. In their quest for high-quality food over the past year, the herd of 15 to 17 elephants has caused more than a million dollars in damage, mostly by destroying property and eating crops. And Dr. Plotnik says this is a small-scale elephant-human conflict. Some other countries have seen a lot worse. He listed them off. This is not uncommon in Thailand, Myanmar, in India, and Sri Lanka. It is a quite intense conflict. You also see it in many countries in Africa as well. All it takes is a quick Google search to find people across the world expressing very real grievances about elephants. Here's a villager in Sri Lanka. The folks here have only woke up when they heard the shattering of the window. By then, the elephants were helping themselves to the rice. Once they start doing that, it is impossible to chase off the animals. Here's a farmer in Uganda. Almost two weeks, the elephant has been coming, destroying. Last night, at around ten, they were here, and we managed to chase them. So we don't sleep. I don't know the way how we are going to survive. In nearly every case, Dr. Plotnik says you've got the same root problem. Basically, what's happening is you've got an increase in human population or human industrialization, and you see that in some locations you have hundreds, if not thousands, of elephants that once had access to really lush forests, and now that habitat is shrinking. And not only is it shrinking, but the entire periphery of some of this habitat is crop fields. So the elephants walk outside their protected areas and they go into crop fields looking for this food. And so that's why this conflict is increasing. There was one photo that went viral not too long ago of an elephant-human interaction via a kitchen in Thailand. Can you tell me about that? I saw that image recently and was talking to some colleagues about it. That was an incredible image to see. This is a bull elephant, a fully grown adult elephant, in Pajuap Kirikan, which is a province just outside of Bangkok. And the images of somebody filming from the door into the kitchen, looking at the stove area, and the elephant's head has broken through the cement wall from outside, and the elephant is using his trunk to search for food underneath the cabinet. 
So it's remarkable because the elephant hasn't stuck his head through an open window. He has literally put his head through the wall. We don't often see elephants trying to take down structures like that, but it can happen. Incredible that if he's looking for food, he knew exactly where to find it, which room to go to. That is something that I'm really fascinated about in terms of my own research. We say how smart elephants are, and they are incredibly intelligent, but the way they navigate their world is very different from the way we navigate our world. They have this remarkable trunk, which has thousands of muscles, no bones, and it is an incredible olfactory organ, meaning they have an incredible sense of smell. So it's quite likely that while the elephant may not have been able to see inside the kitchen, he almost certainly could smell inside of it. So he knew where he was going to get access to that food simply by smelling for it. That is fascinating. What also I want to emphasize about that video is that the people that are filming, the people that live in that house are also quite calm about it, which is surprising, but also it it illustrates how, I guess, familiar and common this conflict has become in some areas. The fact that they're interacting with the elephants so regularly suggests that this is a problem that is increasing. And so we really have to come up with viable long-term solutions to this situation. Otherwise, it's only going to get worse. Most of these elephants are living on lands that are reserved for them. So why and how is human population growth still encroaching on their territory? Yeah, that question is a complicated one. In many cases, you have villages or villagers who are multi-generational farmers. They have lived in these communities for a very long time, sometimes hundreds of years. National parks are not hundreds of years old. And unfortunately, the national parks either take over farmers' lands or in many cases, the farmers' lands just happen to be right alongside these protected areas. And in many cases, the farmers don't have anywhere else to go. I work alongside many of these villagers in Thailand and I have great respect for what they do. When I ask the farmers, why do you keep farming or why don't you do something else? And I have to say, that's not a great question for a Westerner to ask. They say, because this is all I know. This is how I've always provided for my family. And this is how I want to continue to provide for my family. And that is something that I really respect. And because of that, and because of the fact, I must also add that their farming also feeds the rest of us. We need to come up with ways to both provide for the farmers, but also provide for the elephants. Because if you don't provide for both of those parties in this conflict, unfortunately, the conflict isn't going to go away. A lot of this begs the question, if when elephants venture out beyond their habitat, they're searching for food, does this mean they're not getting the sustenance and the nutrition they need where they are? Yeah, it seems logical, right? That if the elephants don't have high quality food where they live, they're going to go seek out high quality food somewhere else. And I think that absolutely explains a lot of the human elephant interactions that we're seeing in communities or farmers' crop fields, or in the case of central Thailand, this elephant going through someone's home. But I don't think that explains all of the interactions that we see. Some groups of elephants will only eat the crop fields when they pass by them. It's kind of like if you're driving on a road uh, and you happen to see a fast food restaurant and you weren't looking for it, but (laughs) hey, it looks pretty appetizing, so you're going to stop and eat there. That's very similar, I think, to what some of these elephants are doing. Mm -hmm. The most interesting anecdote, and again, this is anecdotal, I stress that because we're, we're still trying to understand what's actually happening, is that in some areas, particularly in India, where the conflict is really intense... Two wild elephants wandered into Mysore city, caused panic and resulted in the death of one man. 
The farmers are really fed up with the elephants. They are retaliating with aggression and, in some cases, violence. Helpless farmers burst crackers, shine bright lights, and use electric fencing to keep elephants away. If all fails, they poison the giants. What we are seeing sometimes is that the elephants are actually going into crop fields, destroying crops, but not eating the crops. And at the risk of sounding anthropomorphic, meaning we're <laughs> putting human thoughts into the heads of the elephants, it sounds like retaliation, mm. right? It sounds like the elephants are pissed, they're upset, they're angry, and they're going into crop fields to fight back. And I would not put it past an elephant based on my experience studying elephant intelligence to do something like that. So now you can see really why this conflict is so difficult to solve. It's not as simple as throwing enough food at the elephants so that they're full. You really have to think about what the causes of this conflict are if you're going to try and solve it. Wow. So what exactly are these reserves like? Is it just protected territory where the elephants live as if they're in the wild? Or are conservationists monitoring it, giving them what they think the elephants need? Yeah, it, it, it certainly depends on the country and the infrastructure that's available for national parks. The place that I work is actually a wildlife sanctuary, which means it's heavily protected, but it's off limits to tourists. Right, So this is pristine really safe habitat for elephants. But again, the biggest issue is we don't know how many elephants can be sustained in some of these habitats. So just because there's lots of natural land doesn't mean that land can sustain all the wildlife that's inside it. We call this carrying capacity. The idea that you have to kind of figure out how many individual animals can this national park contain. And if there are too many animals in that national park, they're inevitably gonna leave it searching for resources Generally, what methods do people use to try to contain the elephants? And, and how do the elephants, who, as you've mentioned, are extremely intelligent, how do they get around them? That is what my research team is really interested in. It obviously varies from one location to the next. But in general, you'll have people putting up fences, right? So these could be physical fences that... that are made of cement and steel. Often those fences are electrified, not to harm the animal, but basically to provide a shock that scares them away. People will dig trenches to try to physically prevent the elephants from crossing. In many of the villages I work in, they use remote sensing camera traps that send SMS messages to the farmer's cell phones to let them know when the elephants are nearby so they can scare them away. They'll use loud noises like firecrackers. And unfortunately, in some situations, they will use firearms. They will either shoot above the elephants to scare them away, or when the conflict grows incredibly intense, they might shoot at the elephants, which in many places is illegal, but it still happens. So those are the strategies that are being used. The biggest theme among all these strategies is that they're focused on trying to scare the elephants away from crop fields and villages. Mm. The problem is that if you don't fulfill the need of the elephant, that fear isn't going to necessarily deter them in the long run. Clearly not. I've seen videos of elephants using their trunks to gingerly push down the wooden stakes holding up electric fences, and then watching as the whole herd just steps over. There are also lots of videos of elephants crawling under fences. It's bizarre, really, to see such a massive animal shimmying along the ground on its belly. But as we've said, elephants are smart. Dr. Plotnik likened them to sneaky children. 
Malika, I like to give this analogy of a child wanting a cookie from a cookie jar. <laughs> so imagine you have a toddler. I have a three-year-old son and I tell him that he cannot have a cookie right now. And so I put up a little toddler fence, which prevents him from getting into the kitchen. At least I think it does. And I come back a few hours later and of course the cookie is gone from the cookie jar. <laughs> now, this isn't exactly the same but it shows that if you're just trying to physically prevent someone or something that wants access to a high quality resource like a cookie or sugar cane, if you don't fulfill that need, if you don't give the child something else to be interested in, they're going to continue to want it. And so in this case, the problem is that the elephants want that high quality food. They're looking for it. And all you're doing is trying to put up a barrier to it. So elephants find ways to manipulate vulnerabilities in electric fences, right? They might use a stick to deactivate it. They might push on the non-electrified portion of the fence, like the cement pillars that keep it up. In terms of firecrackers, for instance, farmers will shoot them in the air and then try to scare the elephants away from the crop fields. But it doesn't work because what happens um, is the elephants will just stand on the periphery of the crop field, wait until the farmers get tired, and then come in and eat anyway, the farmers will say that's a strategy that works, at least in part, because it keeps the elephants from raiding all night. But again, it illustrates how intelligent these animals are and the fact that if you really want to solve this conflict, you've got to figure out how to provide the resources the elephants need so they don't have a desire to come into the crop fields anymore. That research can be extra complicated because elephants interact with the world differently. They have unique personalities. And oftentimes, the herd's direction is determined by the mama elephant's temperament. Elephants live in matriarchal family groups, which means that usually the oldest, wisest female is in charge. Her knowledge is crucially important for helping locate resources for her family group, dictate the decisions that they make as a family group in terms of where they go, the risks that they take. Different elephants make different decisions. Some elephants will never leave a national park, right? They might be more risk-averse. And so they might keep their family group inside a protected area rather than take the risk of going into a city or a crop field, whereas other elephants might be much more risk prone. So this is all information that we really need to gather if we're going to make sure that the solution is long term. So what would be the safest and most effective way to prevent elephant-human conflict? If I had an answer to that, Malika, we would be in a much better position What's really important in terms of coming up with a viable long-term solution is providing for both parties in the conflict. So that means trying to come up with solutions that, you know, focus on providing protected habitat that the elephants will want to be in, that is far enough away from human habitat that the elephants don't have the urge to leave the national park and come back into contact with people. But that's easier said than done, right? Because there isn't in many of these countries large, free, sustainable pieces of land that have resources both for the people and the elephants involved in these conflicts. Why did you decide to study elephants? And why do you care about this? I recognize that most people don't wake up in the morning and go to bed at night thinking about elephants the way that, that I try to do. <laughs> but there, there are two reasons we should care. One is overall protecting the planet. The fact that this planet doesn't exist just for us. And it's our job as the most dominant species on this planet to protect the other species on this planet. That is a very simple explanation for why we should care. But the other is that for those people who are really interested or concerned about how wildlife might impact them, animals, they interact with plants, they interact with the ocean, they interact with the soil, right? All of these different 
interactions that we might not be privy to have an impact on us in terms of our access to resources such as water, food, oxygen. And elephants in particular are known as an umbrella species and a keystone species, which means that their impact on the environment is incredible. It's immense. And so if we lose elephants, not only are we going to see a cascade that negatively impacts other species in their environment, it might in the long run negatively impact us as well. And so we really need to be aware of the fact that we are losing species at an exponential rate. And a lot of that is the result of our own behavior. And if we don't change our behavior soon, not only are we going to lose the elephant, but we might lose a lot of other species that we know and love as well. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilvey, with Dina Kispe, Nagin Oliai, Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Aya Elmilek is our engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Tom Finton is The Take's editor, and Stacey Samuel is executive producer. We'll be back. <laughs> 